What's up, guys? How to get the, the day right today? <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. Hell yeah, man. How, uh, how'd that security update work out for you? Oh, yeah, I mean, so it's a regular thing we have to do here because we're all in like a VPN, so we have to make sure like our system's up to date. But uh, yeah, it's kind of a pain, but it's, it's way cooler than it sounds. They actually don't care about me. It's more about the traders. They're not that interested in my shit posting on Twitter. But other than that, <laughs> went well. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Yo, Chase is super high. What did you think of the episode last night? Absolutely. Go ahead, Super. Go ahead, Super. <laughs> nah, you're good. Just Carter is gigabrain, first of all. Uh, and I don't own enough wood. Yeah, that was a thing. I was thinking maybe... Is there even a point for me going on? Because I think Carter got most of the points yesterday. He saved me all the trouble. Well, we were thinking we'd just dive into, like, your Cointelegraph background and what exactly you do at Wu. Just kind of, like, your role in the growth of Wu. Uh, well, also, yeah, sure. yesterday we didn't get to record any of Carter's audio. So today we're actually going to be able to record all the stuff you have to say about Wu. So, yeah, he did cover a lot of it, but this, this stuff's going to be different, if you don't mind. Okay, lumping the pressure on. I like it. No, no pressure, no pressure. If you can't answer a question, Devin, just let us know and we'll move on to the next one. No, it's fine. I think I can answer pretty much everything. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I guess, I don't know if I covered it yesterday, but uh, I mean, for the last uh, year and a half, I've been working with Cointelegraph. Uh, actually, it's more Cointelegraph research. Um, and consulting, which is more of the strategic side. Um, so we were doing like reports, but then recently uh, they asked me to do a column on like a China every week because I'm based here in China. So I do like this China column called Our Man in Shanghai, which has been fun because it's a good chance to kind of interact with a lot of different projects um, and people are willing to open up to you when, when you're in that position. So uh, I like to do it. And that's kind of what I've been doing there. Uh, I got that role thanks to a friend of mine who used to be the COO at VeChain. Um, they, they partnered with Cointelegraph Consulting um, on uh, maybe in like 2018, I believe, or 2019. And um, they were they were looking to expand. And Kevin, he, he introduced me. So that's kind of how that went. Before that, I'd been like writing for, for VeChain because covering their enterprise blockchain stuff that was going on. And, and yeah, I mean, it just goes back. I think I jumped in. I don't know why I didn't start at the beginning, but um, going back to 2015, I think, when, because I was working in China and like going cross border with payments, it was always, you know, a bit of a pain. Uh, I remember like standing in line at the Chinese banks for like two hours, you know, and they're like looking at your passport, trying to figure out, you know, what, what it all means. So uh, the idea of Bitcoin always interested me, the fact that I could control that whole process. But in 2015, the infrastructure wasn't very good. So, I mean, getting on and off, they would charge a lot of fees if you could even find a platform that would do it. So it just kind of got backburnered, I think, until like mid-2017. I think Bitcoin was at 5000 on the way up to where it eventually hit twenty k by the end of the year. Uh, and that, that kind of piqued my interest. And then um, just getting into alts, like things like IOTA back then were really hot. Um, that didn't pan out so well <laughs> but at the time like the whole idea of like internet of things was really interesting and then uh where did i go after that? i guess just getting into v chain like the chinese community 
um, and interacting with them and then seeing people in the Western communities kind of trying to piece together the puzzle. And so, yeah, I would, I would uh, just jump in from time to time and with sharing information and then eventually just became a full-time thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, Cutter touched on that yesterday, like how in this industry, if you're willing to like work hard uh, and, and contribute, uh, especially like as a volunteer, you know, like people are always glad to get you on board. Um, then, I mean, you can kind of scare people away when you go up and you start offering your services and asking for a fee. So, I mean, like what I did was always just like, I'm here to help. I'll do everything for free. Uh, I'll say yes to everything. <laughs> you know, like if you want me to do this, I'll do it. Um, like, and I was even traveling at the beginning, like paying paying my own way, like to fly down to to events. Uh, but it just opened so many doors, and there's so much opportunity in this space that you know, if you if you do these sort of things, you get rewarded very very heavily. So um, yeah, I mean, if anyone's like. You know, I, I heard yesterday a lot of people maybe were new to this space, but if they are thinking about, hey, this is something I want to do, like I always would recommend just, you know, busting your ass and uh, doing, doing everything for free because the, the reward is the network and that comes later, right? So so that's kind of my story, how I got into it. And yeah, uh, I guess, yeah, here we are. That's super inspirational because that's kind of how my journey in crypto is going right now too. Is like I'm building the connections before I'm even learning how to code, which is what I'm going to be doing here soon. And so like it just opens up doors, especially if you're in this space, not just me, but if you're young and in this space and trying to work hard and they like fit in, the, this space is very crucial to that. Not this space, but crypto Twitter in general. A hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Ben. No, go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry. I just wanted to uh, re uh, add on to that that um, I, in the past few months on like crypto Twitter and uh, Medium and stuff, I just reaching out to projects and offering free help with skills I have like video editing or graphic design and stuff. I've been able to work freelance for like four or five different crypto and nft projects in the past four months i didn't get paid or anything but now they've asked me for more than one piece of work and i'm essentially hired by a few of these projects that i i personally consider myself underqualified for but like you said just offering free help to a developing team uh not many people are gonna say no and so i've yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm not like on salary for any of these companies, but I've worked freelance for companies I didn't even think would like open up my emails. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's like the whole open source uh, idea behind blockchain and how it got started, which is people contributing, uh, you know, and not even knowing who each other were. And uh, so, the, you know, I feel like that still resonates with a lot of people. And it's you don't see it as much during a bull market because everybody's out there trying to grab their piece of the pie while the, the money's good. Uh, but if you can withstand, uh, you know, through a bull market and into the bear market, that's when a lot of the, the flaky competition goes away. Um, and that's kind of where, you know, that's where I kind of got my breaks was, um, you know, 2018, 2019, when everybody was panicking and I was just, you know, kept working. And then eventually, you know, here we are, it's not even that long, you know, it's like four years. Um, but you know, you're right in the thick of things and like working for WooTrade, it's like a great role because they're, uh, you know, their influence, not just WooTrade, but Kronos Research, uh, the quantitative trading firm, you know, where, uh, we have connections with every exchange and we're one of the top traders on almost every exchange. And, um, yeah, I mean, you, you couldn't imagine how quickly everything accelerated, 
just from when I was just starting, like writing for, for VeChain as a volunteer uh, to, to where we are today. So, so yeah, that's the inspirational story. I don't know if we're going to make like an HBO special out of it, but uh, it's, it's some good background info. Hey, Ben, you know, I want to get your actually your, your point of view on this. You know, you've been in the market um, for a while. And I'm sure you remember like the narratives in like 2017, right? It was like, I feel like the meme back then, if I remember correctly, it was just like institutions are coming, institutions are coming, you know, and then the bubble popped in like 2017 that, you know, there was no like major institutions that actually like publicly announced it. Um, what, like, how does it feel to see the like industry mature to the same where it is today versus just kind of like that pipe dream, what it used to be? like going in from like 2016 into 2017? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I think in 2017, the, the narrative was kind of like blockchain will change everything. So like you could make a business plan out of anything, just like stick decentralized in front of it and you're good to go, whether it's like video streaming or, you know, even just anything that was ridiculous. And they were trying it and, but people, I guess the idea was people didn't know what to do with it. So that was obvious with like uh, the enterprise space particularly was everybody was trying to get into the blockchain side, uh, but they were afraid to actually pull the trigger, uh, you know, on certain projects. So it was getting stuck in like proof of concept phase. And I think now, um, you know, we're seeing not maybe as much on the enterprise side, but definitely on the institutional side where, you know, the Goldman Sachs's and the JP Morgan's and the Fidelity's they're, they're already here. Um, and obviously like with the corporate treasury side with like Tesla and, um, Bay two and here in China, um, and some other big, big corporations. Yeah. I mean, we, we've crossed that bridge. We've normalized digital assets. The, the whole concept has been validated on a grand scale. And, you know, the next step I think is obviously like the mass adoption from like corporate treasury or even like sovereign treasuries where you talk about like governments and the cbdc's and then eventually finding the link between the, the cbdc sorry the central bank digital currency finding the link between that um and then what we're used to here in the cryptocurrency side so it's uh it's it's getting exciting because you feel like i mean it was exciting back then but it was a little bit different um now it feels like we're here we've made it um but but now it's just about executing right it's not about like is it a question of if it's just a matter of when when can we do it yeah, absolutely. And it's just like, you know, I, I've just been thinking about that over the last few days. It's just, you know, it's like every other day, um, like just every, you know, Monday through Friday, there's some massive news that comes out to where in like 2017, that particular news of that day that's just like happening every day now would have been like the news of like the month or the week. Um, yeah, it, it's just fascinating to see how quickly uh, this is evolving. And so I kind of lead, leads into my second question is, uh, do you actually think, you know, with everything that's happened, like COVID, do you think that's maybe actually sped up the adoption and like the increase in digitalization of everything? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like the COVID thing, um, people are very um, eager to pursue like the mobile payments route um, and the digital currencies. But that, I mean, that's like the positive, like the, the pushing side, but then like the pull side, you have uh, like the government spending, uh, which has you know, accelerated the value of things like deflationary assets like Bitcoin. Um, well, it's not deflationary, but it's close. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, of course. So that's helped a lot. Um, but I think like my one of my friends, he compares like digital assets to like a baby 
who, when it's young, you know, it trips over something and it just falls flat on its face. And that's what we saw in 2017 when we hit 20K. And then there was a slight pullback and then everyone just panicked. And then just, you know, that was the baby falling flat. But now it's like, it's more of a toddler. Uh, so it can kind of get over these little obstacles. So when we dropped from whatever it was, the all-time high at like 60 something, back to, you know, 55, uh, the effect obviously was that, you know, we just picked ourselves back up and now we're heading back to 60. So we're able to withstand these things. Um, and one of the main reasons for that effect um, is the institutions here, because institutions, they tend to dampen the, volat the volatility. So what that means is basically like when the price starts going up, you know, some institutionals are going to sell, right? I mean, we saw that with, with Tesla. I think Elon Musk announced they sold some of their Bitcoin. So that kind of stops the, the whole blow off top kind of asset uh, value increase. Uh, but at the, at the same time, when you start going back to 15, down to the 40s or wh whatever, you know, these institutions come back in, right? And they support the price. There was nobody in 2017 who was looking after we came from 20K down to 15K that said, all right, this is, this is the, you know, this is the pullback. I'm going to dump all my assets in there. I mean, some retail investors did that. That was a mistake, but um, not, you know, not the big institutions. So, we're in a good position now, I feel. I was saying that with my luck, tomorrow the market's going to take a big <laughs> dump. <in it. laughs> but yeah, uh, that's that's the effect it's all kind of had. And I, I, obviously, with that, we lose a lot of risk. We maybe lose some opportunity. I mean, we're probably not going to have these massive 10x on Bitcoin and 100x on alts like forever. Like I think Suju talked about that a while back, like these super cycles. Um, uh, well, he called a super cycle, but like these these three year cycles are probably going to go away, and we're going to have a more stable environment. But um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be anywhere else. This is this is the space that I enjoy being, and um, there's still going to be a lot of opportunity. Yeah, you had kind of like touched on it a little bit. So, or I think I think if I heard you right, I think you did. So similar to the crash what we saw in twenty, uh, you know, twenty eighteen, the beginning of twenty eighteen. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think those types of crash will be a thing of the past because we have, you know, larger institutions, I think on larger time frames, And so, you know, if they see a 20% dip or like 25% dip, that dip on a quality digital asset, I could see it being bought up. Is that kind of how you could see it happening? Or do you think we could potentially see a, um, another blow off top? Well, I think for normal market events, like uh, some regulation comes out, that's maybe, uh, you know, like India bans crypto, like something like that. Like in 2017 or 2018, that would have just crashed the price completely. I think I think we can withstand those kind of events a little bit better. Um, obviously, if there was some really big black swan event, like, you know, some kind of you know, threat of nuclear war or something or uh, some quantum computing sort of jump in technology, you know, like then we could see some like real panic on digital assets. But I mean, you can't go through life preparing for that. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, yeah, I think we're in a lot more stable position and that's why we are seeing the institutions. It's more the, like cause and effect, right? I mean, the institutions are here because they feel it's more stable, uh, not we're more stable because the institutions are here. Uh, so, so yeah, that's, yeah, I think definitely we're better able to withstand that. And we could still have a blow off. Like you talked about a blow off top. I mean, if, if government spending comes back and, you know, we could see this massive push up into, you know, I've heard like all the miners in China, they're always saying like 100K is definitely happening this cycle. <laughs> so, so we'll see what that, what happens there. But, um, but yeah. 
Ben, I have a few questions before we get into Wu. Uh, I've never... So, China and Asia's market been, is really interesting to me, right? And we don't have a lot of access to it. So, um, I'm curious. I, I know you're obviously there for work, and uh, I, I'm not sure how deep you are in civilian culture. But what is the general <laughs> consensus now on crypto? Because back, uh, like, in 2017... I know recently, like the federal government said that they kind of uh, are condoning it as speculative investment. Um, and back in 2017, that wasn't really the case. It was kind of frowned upon. But or, what, what's kind of the general consent? I know you work in the finance industry and they're much more forefront uh, in the, on the Asia side. But do you hear people like on the streets talk about this type of stuff or, at all? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I get down and dirty with the locals here, um, for sure. That's so, awesome. Yeah, funny, like, funny story. Like, the last week, I've heard two conversations where I was sitting there. One was, like, outside us, like a Starbucks. And then another one was outside, like, downstairs in my house. And I was just, like, eavesdropping on people. And they were talking about – one was talking about pancake swap, actually. And then the other people were talking just about, like, digital assets in general. So the public is, like, really aware – of what's going on and you know the, the, the speculative value to them is, is very very interesting um they're not as much concerned about the whole like the like more the philosophical ideas of decentralization and um you know self-storing your assets i find that you know, super getting... fascinating right because wouldn't mm -hmm. someone in a communist oh borderline communist nature just well, I guess like wouldn't that be like the appealing aspect? But they're more they they don't care about that part. It seems it's more speculative. I find that super fascinating. Well, well, technically we're socialist um, out here in China, um, but like the communism thing went away like after like Deng Xiaoping and like the the nineties. I think if my history is correct, um, and they opened up and yeah, I mean the the. Obviously, the financial thing, like the the last thirty years in China, have been a gold rush uh, with development, um, and like things like housing prices have skyrocketed. Uh, so people are very cognizant of the fact that a few well placed investments could make them very, very, very successful. And I think more so in the West, where we don't really have that same. Like I'm American, we don't really have that same like I want to be a millionaire, billionaire kind of a thing. Like we're way more content to just like have a suburban home and uh, drive a nice car, maybe have a boat, right? These are things that we kind of aspire to in the West, where I think in uh, China, it's more about stacking as much cash as possible. Um, you know, and yeah, I mean, that's kind of like a, a, a good indication of success is like, you know, just pure wealth. So, so that's that part. Um, that, that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. So how long have you been like in China and uh, working there and how, how like what do you feel about the culture versus there versus here socially on cryptocurrency? Okay, well, I mean, well, I, I came I, here, you like, kind of just touched years. on that, but it, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I came out here like 10 years ago, uh, right because I was a graduate in 2019, 20, 2009, and that was like right after the uh, GFC. Uh, financial crisis and you know I was a business major so it made sense to to try to jump into Mandarin um, and learn the language so I mean that's what it was and like the first couple of years really really deeply um, like I was in a small town I was only with like 
Chinese people. Uh, so I picked up the language really quick and then uh, the culture as well. So that helps a lot um, when working um, in this space in China, because when you look at like our industry, it's like 50% of the hashing power comes from China uh, on like Bitcoin mining and then trading volumes. I think like three quarters of it is from Asia. I mean, obviously they're like different uh, more than just China, but a lot of the industry is centered here. So um, yeah, I, I bet I find it so fascinating and I like don't really want to leave at this moment just because I feel like, you know, places like Shanghai, Hong Kong, Singapore, this is really driving the industry. Uh, in terms of like, you know, people are a lot less resistant to it. Um, you know, like back home, if you bring up cryptocurrencies to someone, like their first thing is like, oh, that's a scam, you know? Um, but like here, it's kind of, they're, they're a lot more interested and, uh, you know, they're, they're obviously interested in more in the speculative value, like I touched on, but, you know, I feel like people are more open to technological change, um, which is why, like, we're totally cashless here in China, like mobile payments, QR codes, like everything. If you're talking about, like, from, you know, buying a Coke in a supermarket, like, you're not going to pull out cash for that. Um, so, so yeah, that's yeah, uh, that's, that's awesome. The, the only reason I, I kind of asked you to elaborate on this after Chase brought up institution, right, is because mm-hmm. if the sheer, just the sheer number of Chinese people and the more they adopt it, it is almost like its own institution in and of itself, right? Like if more and more uh, of Chinese and Indian people that get on board, just the sheer volume of uh, retail that they can produce is almost in and of itself like an institutional purchase, right? Absolutely. And uh, the thing with the, in general, Chinese citizens tend to have like more cash savings than the like the counterparts in the U.S. because well, in the U.S. we just buy everything on credit cards and we don't have to save ever because we know we have like banks to lend us money if we need it. Um, but culture is very different. So when they invest, like they typically invest a lot more, and that's why people always talk about like the Chinese whales. And that's kind of what drove up the Ethereum prices way back in like 2016, 2017, and then later it was EOS that got driven up by Chinese buyers. This year we saw it with DOT. Um, and now we're seeing it with Doge. Like a lot of people are into Doge out here just because they don't care about fundamentals, right? It's more about uh, which which project has the momentum and is going to, you know, succeed, right? They trade it more as like a just a, you know, investment product rather than a, um, like a company you believe in, like we might do more of in the West. So, so yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, it, they have a huge effect on markets and, you know, you can get a lot of alpha just by, uh, kind of seeing what's going on on Chinese social media. Uh, Filecoin was another one, like with Filecoin shot up recently. Like that, it was obvious like a week prior that people were talking about it, and then it like doubled or tripled a few weeks later. So, so wow. yeah, that's. Uh, um, I read an article uh, about like South Korea having a problem with its workforce. Like, so many people are leaving to work and trade in crypto. Do you see that in China, or is it still kind of early and people are just kind of putting their uh, paychecks in it as investments? Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. Um, yeah, I think I don't know. We'll we'll have to keep my eye out. But um, it's uh, it's I think I think people are still motivated here. You know, like even if they make you know a million or two million, like they're not going to go, you know, buy a Lambo and then go just yeah, they chill don't really for a retire. Year. They just Moguls. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, that's why a lot of the, 
like the VCs coming out of China, like they were, they were just people who are very early in, the, in either the mining space or the, the crypto space. Appreciate Ben. Well, I've been talking a lot. I'll let everyone else take over. Hey Ben, I have a question. Um, within Shanghai, are you seeing retailers actually accept crypto as, as payment? Uh, not really. And that's because there's not really a need for it. Uh, like the digital payments are already like everywhere. So it's much easier for me to spend like the RMB, which is like, I just whip out WeChat or, or Alipay. Uh, these are the two main apps and you can like every counter has a QR code on it, uh, or they scan you, but either way it's, um, it's very quick. Uh, and like the whole digital payments idea, I think like a blockchain's never going to be as fast as like a centralized payment. Right. So I think the way digital assets like Bitcoin are going to fit in is going to be as more of like a, a utility token or a store of value or some sort of investment product, whereas like the actual transfer of, of, of money would still probably be more suited for like a digital currency, like a central bank digital currency or like WeChat Pay, Alipay type of situation. Got it. And like from your perspective in the West, do you see... Do you see crypto being used as a payment method or is it going to wind up being the same thing that's happening out in Asia from your, from, in your opinion? I think in like countries where they're like the currency is an issue, like if you talk about like Venezuela or Zimbabwe or some place like that, Nigeria, where it's inflation is a big thing. I, I think it could just because the local currencies, you know, it's hard and then getting a hold of dollars is also hard. So yeah, that would work. You know, in the U.S., I don't think we have a need for it either, uh, just because credit cards are accepted everywhere, and that's it's easier because you get two percent cash back or whatever, and you can charge back if you uh, if it was if your card was stolen or something. So like that kind of thing is actually superior to doing a ten minute Bitcoin confirmation. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think I think cryptocurrency will succeed where it's needed um, as a as a like a transfer of value. Uh, but for most parts, it's more more than that. Got it. Yeah, interesting. Like you say, where it's needed. Like in your, from your perspective, where do you feel like crypto is most needed right now? Absolutely, in like the DeFi space. I mean, when you look at like banks are paying like zero point five percent interest or no interest at all on your savings, like it's really hard to outpace inflation. So like that's one place where you know things like Aave, uh, Compound, they're a little bit more secure than you know like the bsc farms right i mean like those uh those are needed i think like if i have a lot of money like i'm gonna want to put it somewhere where i can earn five percent six percent on my assets especially stablecoin assets if i'm particularly risk averse that's where it's definitely needed um yeah, yeah, that, that would be the big thing. But then we're still developing more use cases. The, like the lending seems very interesting for people who are more, you know, aggressive with their 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 management strategy um, and just investment products. And that's something that WooTrade's building as well that we might have time to get into a little bit later. Um, but yeah, wealth accumulation always comes from these type of investment products and like in the past that was always reserved for like the elite of society or the people who have like financial advisors. Uh, and you know, it's really hard for like, say like a high school math teacher or something to, to decide, Hey, I'm going to put all my money in this like high frequency trading strategy. This, you know, this hedge fund managing my money, like that doesn't happen. And so you get this widening gap between the, the elite, the 1%, if you will, and then everybody else. 
a hundred percent. Connor, I saw you had a question. Yeah, he, you touched on uh, Alipay earlier, like Alibaba technology. Um, as, as someone who interacts with Alibaba, everything I read about it is it's extremely successful in China, right? But it just has a terrible time, like on the stock market as of late. Do you have any opinions on that? If like it, I, it just seems it would be odd if like Amazon was killing it in the United States and it just kept getting dumped on. Well, the Chinese stock market in general has has struggled a little bit to to really grow at the same rate as the Western one, and I think a lot of that has to do with the mindset of of Chinese companies that when they get listed. Um, they, they tend to take the foot off the pedal a little bit in terms of like maintaining stock price. Um, that, yeah, so that's one thing. I mean, basically getting listed on a stock exchange just means you have exit liquidity for your own your own company shares. So, so I think that um, has <laughs> hurt a little about bit. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, that's what we, a lot of people think about the Coinbase and finally all the early investors are going to be able to, you know, dump their liquidity. But um Hey, well, that, I mean, the Coinbase price isn't looking so hot these days, so that probably is what happened. Uh, uh, but in terms of Alibaba itself, like they have a lot of geopolitical issues um, because of their the way their model was set up. Uh, they were doing a lot of like peer-to-peer lending, which is very, um, very strictly regulated in China, and you're not allowed to go over a certain interest rate. And some of their products were doing that kind of through loopholes. And so the the government kind of cracked down on it, and then Jack Ma, who is their very like uh, he's, he's he's like the Jeff Bezos of of China, he you know he he kind of lashed out, and that was a bad idea because you can't really put yourself on the the wrong side of the central government. So that also you know has a big impact on how Alibaba's financial future is perceived. Right now, the government's breaking up uh, Ant Ant Group, which is part of Alibaba. That's like the one that does the Alipay itself, uh, because you know, for it's it's a very powerful financial network. It's like PayPal, but it's more integrated into our lives. Um, you know, down to the point where like you you pay for the subway, uh, you pay for uh, just everything with like this. You pay for like utility bills and stuff. So. Uh, when the government started realizing that this was kind of going rogue a bit and they stepped in, it really, uh, you know, limited, I guess, the, the profitability because if, you know, if you're a private company, you can make a lot of money, but if you're becoming slightly less private, then it's, it's hard to be as profitable. So, so that's probably why uh, Alibaba is struggling a bit. Hey, uh, Ben, kind of switching gears. Um, for the people that weren't here yesterday, could you go in on what Wu Trade is and the future of where Wu is going? Oh, we're talking about Wu Trade. I thought this was all China. <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I'm kidding. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think Carter did a really good job yesterday. But basically, what Wu Trade is, um, it's like kind of a solution to the fragmented liquidity issue, which is all over. Um, you know, we have these little islands, which are exchanges or OTC desks or wallets where liquidity exists. But that's not very good for a trading environment because um, obviously then you get things like price slippage and you know big institutional buyers don't want to enter a, a market that they can't get in and out of very quickly, right? So that's a major deterrent for adoption. And so what we do, um, and this stems from our background as quantitative traders, where we were asked to trade on all the top exchanges 
but we found that that's very resource intensive because every time you do that, you have to uh, go through very stringent KYC processes. You have to uh, deposit capital onto these platforms, which is not it's it's a risk, right? And it's it's not efficient because you don't have as much flexibility. Uh, so this was something that had been bothering the people at this at Kronos Research. So uh, WooTrade is kind of a solution to that, where we created a giant pool, and then everybody connects to us instead of us connecting to them. Uh, so that's how that works. And this is not a new concept. This is a uh, uh, what's called a dark pool in traditional finance. And one of the founders, Jack, had been managing that for a number of institutional firms in traditional finance before coming here. And then one of the other founders, Mark, he's, he was one of the top quantitative electronic trading. Uh, he was managing a team for Citadel, which is quite popular these days as a topic because of the whole Robin Hood fiasco. Um, but I mean, these two guys, you don't meet people like them in crypto very often. Like when you go to crypto meetups and you're talking to teams, a lot of it is like indie software devs and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, some of these people are very talented, but, um, you know, people of this caliber in terms of experience and networks and, you know, um, I guess resources, you don't find them very often. So that's one of the reasons why I was very eager to join trade. But so anyway, we've got this dark pool now uh, and we're connecting to a bunch of different exchanges and uh, wallets, and things like that. And then last summer, uh, the, the whole DeFi summer happened and we, we you know, the, the founders were very big CFI guys because they've done that their whole lives and we took a look at it and we realized we can do the exact same thing in the DeFi space with even more potential upside and so we started doing that as well um, and the whole thing has gotten very very popular lately we launched a token about six months ago and we shot from like the I don't know like seven or eight hundred by market cap with a market cap of like 15 million to where we are now I think we're at 600 million and we're like the number 140 around there uh, by ranking and, I, you know, I feel like it's this is just the beginning because our team is very large, very talented, and we have a, a very strong network. And we're platform agnostic, which means we can help anybody. Uh, we can integrate with anybody, uh, very similar to Chainlink in that, in that regard. Uh, so we're building very strong ties with the blockchain community, the DeFi, the CFI community with everything. And uh, it's, been, it's been quite a journey this last six months. It's flown by. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens over the next six months because looking up the coin gecko rankings, I mean, there's there's a lot of places I feel like we could we could climb up um, and build some really cool products in the, in, in the process. I mean, that's that's the most important thing. Ben, speaking of um, your products, could you could you talk on your uh, the Woo Ventures? Uh, that can't be my interest when I saw that. Yeah, I mean, Woo Ventures, uh, like in a bull market. You know, everybody wants to be a VC because all these deals, when they launch, you know, they're 10xing without people even bothering to read a white paper. So a VC is a very profitable thing in a bull market. Uh, but what we do is we look for to invest in projects that can add value to to either Kronos or WooTrade. Um, and I should probably explain the relationship there. Like Kronos founders are the same as the WooTrade founders, and we're kind of like um, one's a market maker, and then one's the the liquidity solution, right? And we, we, we're, we operate out of similar offices and we have a lot of shared resources. Like, for example, something like a HR recruiter might, might work on both sides, um, whereas like maybe a front-end developer would work on WooTrade only. Uh, for me, myself, I'm mostly focused on WooTrade. So we're very tightly connected, uh, and that's the relationship there. 
I don't think that was your question, but um, <laughs> what was your question again? I got a little bit off yeah. track with that one. No, I mean, that, that was great info, uh, but just kind of specifically around the Woo Ventures. Like, I, I have oh, like, Ventures, there we go. I think it is, mm-hmm. but I just want to mm-hmm. see what, what it actually is. Yeah, so we got two entities, right? We have Kronos and Woo Trade, and both of them have different needs, and we look to invest in products uh, and companies and people that we think are going to add value. Uh, because when you invest in, in, a, in a team, uh, they will. you can kind of uh, – build things together, right? And uh, like we did that with Dodo very early on. Dodo EX, it's a DEX, uh, on, it's on Ethereum BSC and a few other chains now. We, we invested very early in them and then we've been collaborating this whole time. So you build really tight relationships, that's good. Uh, so we have an advantage because a lot of VCs, it's a very shallow uh, integration. Basically the VC will dump like 100K into the project uh, for tokens uh, at a highly discounted rate, and then they'll put their logo, you know, on the company, the project website, and that's pretty much it. Like they might have a, a phone call every six months to kind of catch up, but uh, for us, it's a lot different because we we need people who are going to build with us, like Dodo did, or um, you know, projects that we can provide a lot of support for. And for someone like Cronus, is a market maker. Like if you're just starting out as a project and you need liquidity, like. Uh, someone like Kronos can can be like a complete lifesaver uh, for a project like that. And not just actually going out actively and providing liquidity, but just the knowledge of, because a lot of these people who are developers, they're not traders. They don't understand how liquidity works. Uh, they don't understand the relationship with exchanges, and we can kind of help out with all of that. Um, and on top of that, now we have our own network with WooTrade, where if a token gets listed there, it's like liquidity support on all these different institutions, over 20 that are connected. So it saves the project the time from having to go out and, you know, BD, do business development on all these different projects, or all these different exchanges, I mean. Um, so that's another thing. And so we had a lot of value, basically, long story short. So we are investing in, in certain projects, and, and that's how we want to create some, like, launch pads for our WUX, our Woo token holders, basically. They'll be able to get some of the, the benefit out of this. Because, um, you know, we're using the WooTrade brand, we're using the Kronos brand to, to do these sort of things. And we want people with Woo Ventures to, as the, we're more decentralized now, to, to also reap some of that benefit. So there's going to be airdrops to Woo Token holders for other projects. So it's kind of like, a, uh, like an IDO platform. Uh, only the, the, the purpose is not to IDO. It's more of to reward Woo holders uh, for enabling this sort of business model. Yeah, that's that's super interesting from a business model perspective because it, it you know it, it almost kind of gives like statistically you have a greater chance of success if like you're one of the projects picked by by right because you have that kind of like that backing that infrastructure in, in place um, which you know liquidity is like one of the most important things to have when you're when you're fresh off the ground running. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, like Alameda is also very active in this space, um, and they provide similar uh, benefits and insights. Um, but yeah, I think going forward, like WooTrade and Kronos are going to be like one of those names that you want to have on a platform. And we're very, very stringent with our DD process, like our, our due diligence process, sorry, uh, we, like we go through. So if, if you're sitting at home and you're like, I kind of want to get a piece of the action, but I don't really want to go out and research all these projects, and even if I did, I wouldn't know what to look for. Um, like, like kind of keeping an eye on what we're doing is a good strategy. 
Um, or you just can be a Wex staker and then also get the airdrops and not have to worry about it anyway. So and that's a win-win. Yeah, that's actually a good segue into my next question. I was going to actually ask, like, are you involved on these researching of uh, the firms that you guys are going to go, or the projects you guys are going to go with? Uh, we have a team. We have a team that does it. I think there's like four or five people. Um, but like, I'm definitely involved because from like, I help out on the BD side. So uh, sometimes I'll I'll jump on the calls early on, um, and then as it's discussed in our internal groups, like I'll also share some opinions if I have any. A lot of the times now I don't just because there's so many projects coming out that I've never heard of, um, and there's just no way to keep track of it all. Um, but yeah, and then once obviously we get to a stage where we're we're signing contracts and stuff, then I will get back involved from a marketing perspective and uh, support their 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 side with that. So. Um, so yeah, like I try to get involved as much as possible with everything the company's doing because it's just a passion of mine and, um, yeah, yeah, I guess that yeah. probably answers that question. No, it does. Um, so like, you know, with, with, with the base, <clears throat> the base space, uh, we have a lot of base people, right? We, we have a lot of people who do a lot of deep dives. So if I was interested in kind of being in that particular role in the industry, um, like, do, would you have any like, advice on how to kind of like onboard or how to kind of like step foot into that world and get noticed? Uh, are you talking about like doing like DeFi or investment analysis, this type of a role? Yeah, or just, yeah, just and then also like the deep dive research behind projects. Okay, I mean, really having a strong financial background is always a plus because you have to be able to, you know, assess kind of the the different profitability of these potential companies down the road and. Uh, you know how they're they're being set up for their first raises and things like that. So we we have a one team member who is uh, from some some very top like uh, financial advisory firms in the traditional space. So he has a really strong background there, and he can get into like the the contracts and everything. Uh, and then on top of that, we also have obviously like tech people who who are able to look at if they have like a uh, like an MVP, a minimum viable product, something like that, to kind of look at it. Uh, and then we have one guy who's just like a DeFi degen, like who's just uh, been in the space for so long and he kind of recognizes the different tokenomic models. Um, and that's something you can't get from like traditional experience. Like you kind of have to be a degen to understand that. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity now. I know a lot of people are setting up VC firms and, you know, if, if we do dip into a bear market, probably a lot of them are going to go away, uh, which, which happened before. The same thing happened in 2017, 2018. Everyone was starting a fund, and then a lot of them died. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you definitely want to put yourself in a sustainable position, uh, being very patient right now because not everything that comes along is going to succeed. In fact, probably about ninety percent of them are going to fail in a few years. So um, yeah, I mean, just just being active and researching it, and then, like I said before, networking is everything. If you can provide value to these VCs or these projects, then then they'll definitely start including you in their conversations. Like we do that all the time in WooTrade. I think we've hired from the community already uh, twice. And well, I mean, I also came from the community, so that, that it would have to include me as well. Uh, but yeah, so once you get in the circles, then you're you're you got your foot in the door. Hey Ben, I have a question if you don't mind. I was asking uh, Carter a couple of questions. Hi, does anybody? Do you guys mind? No, I'm looking forward to the question. I actually okay. heard your question yesterday. 
Did you? I don't know which one you heard, but I was hoping to clarify a little bit on one of them. So Wu Trade won't be open to U.S. residents, right? Uh, but we're able to access the DeFi pools. Can you touch on that a little bit? Like, what exactly are the DeFi pools? How do those work? Like, what will we have access to? Because I know I'm personally. I mean, I'm in the United States. I'm. I've been following Wu, um, but I'm. I can use the exchange. What is it exactly that I will be able to do with Wu? Okay, like first, just on the regulatory side, like uh, like we've been very clear, like the the U.S. It's a huge market. It's very important, uh, and and I can't see a route that you know over the next decade, if we end up to succeed, that doesn't involve at some point going through the U.S. Right. Um, but the thing with the regulatory thing is you're either out until you're in, right? So we can't sit here and say, oh, we're going to be there next month because I, that's uh, that's something that from a regulatory perspective, you're not supposed to say. And also, you know, something could change next month. There could be some new policy in Washington. Uh, and, and then suddenly we're back to square one. So um, we have to keep expectations grounded uh, until we're in. Um, but that's, that's that part. Uh, on the DeFi side, we're incredibly bullish just because... The whole experience has been so much smoother when you you meet, for example, like a CFI exchange, uh, and you start the whole process. There's meetings, um, and then you have to get the tech people involved. And there's more meetings, and then you have to get the legal people involved, and there's more meetings, uh, and then you get everything kind of in the right place, and then you have to wait for them to send funds, and sometimes that takes you know a week or two. The whole process just drags forever, right? And then you end up with some tier two exchange on your platform, and their volume's okay, you know, but it's not blowing the doors off of anyone. And you jump into DeFi, by contrast, we created five pools on BSC. We put like two and a half million total spread across five pools into these into these five smart contracts. Uh, and we connected to a front end Dodo. And then Dodo was automatically being aggregated by one inch at an open ocean. And we actually got on a call with one inch and we're like, hey, we got these pools. Would you aggregate them? And then they kind of went in the they said wait aren't you guys with dodo and it's like yeah well you're already aggregated so it was, it was just like the whole process just got streamlined right so we're right. incredibly bullish on that um another reason why is from a trading perspective like the one thing we don't want uh are very aggressive high frequency trading teams because those can, are very toxic to a market maker uh they can make a market maker lose money right and as a market maker we want to get the spreads as tight as possible that creates like the best um user experience for the trader so what ha actually happens in DeFi is like the block times uh, uh, reduce the ability for high frequency traders to to run their aggressive strategies so it's like a filter out all the toxic flow so this is like a second reason why we really want to be more involved in the DeFi space so right now we're trying to set up products that are going to capture uh the value but also you know uh, really enhance the the strategic advantages that we have at WooTrade, and whether that's a Dex, whether that's like a like a margin trading platform, whether that's a cross chain Dex, or whether it's all those things combined, um, you know, also things like yield aggregators and stuff like all things we can build very easily because we're good at trading, we're good at generating yield through trading, um, and these two things that's like the secret weapon for for any platform. Like if you can do that successfully then you're going to have users. You're going to have a lot of users. Uh, so now the, the challenge is to uh, put together a team. We're doing that now, uh, including like uh, blockchain engineers, uh, product managers, uh, security, people on security, like also front end. Um, and we're going to start building these products. 
and that's going to be in the DeFi space. We're going to try to be on as many networks as possible, um, and we're going to try to capture as many users that we can with this kind of idea that you'll get the best trading experience on our platform, um, and you'll get sustainable yield. We're not talking about like just inflationary rewards that we've just meant to, to drive users here, but it's actually like yield generated through trading activities on the platform. Uh, and that's going to be, yeah, the DeFi. And that's something that we're, we're, we're pivoting towards very hard because the growth potential there is really high. So, so hopefully that, that brings some clarity, Jen. Yeah, no, it does. Thank you. Um, you mentioned something about, um, well, to quote you, it's not going to be possible, but it made me think of the Woo Oracle. Right. Mm -hmm. It's so that solves the problem of you're basically using that to get all of the pricing like right then at the moment pricing from the different exchanges. Mm -hmm. What exactly? Because I keep seeing more talk of it. Right. I know there's something coming up about, you know, the Woo Oracle in a couple of days. I just saw an announcement today. Can you explain that a little bit to me? Sure. sure. Yeah, I, mean, I guess not just me. Hopefully, everybody else will benefit from this question also. Yeah. Well, everybody else needs to like turn off their microphones. And I'll I'll talk to Jen real quick, and then. Um... Sorry, no, I didn't mean. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, no, absolutely, Jen. So it's a good question, and it's something we haven't been very public about. And the reason is uh, because we haven't really completely figured out where we want to go with it. Um, that's that's an honest answer. Okay. Um, so basically, the, the Oracle—that's like the, the in-house Oracle, nickname okay. we, came, we came up for, just because it's Woo Oracle, right? It's whatever. Um, it's a solution to the fact that we had these private pools, and we don't want to use the AMM formula because the AMM formula uh, that, that like Uniswap uses—it's very simple. It's just like X plus Y equals K, and basically that means if there's less liquidity on one side, the price goes up. Right, but we want to use our institutional market making strategies, which we tell them the price. Uh, and then if our pools get out of balance, we can rebalance them from our CFI uh, network. Uh, so that's kind of the recipe. And in order to do that, we needed an Oracle that would be able to be updated uh, with the parameters that we need. And when I say parameters, I usually mean the spread for one and the fee. Uh, those are the two main ones. And then uh, the frequency that we update. So. Right now, we're updating every time the price moves about 0.2%, which is quite high, uh, quite often, quite frequent. Um, and if oracles don't update frequently, then you have inaccurate pricing. And it's uh, very easy for people who are the LPs, the liquidity providers, to they bear the brunt of that cost, right? So if people are trading at an inaccurate price, the LPs are getting ripped off. So uh, with us, we are the LPs. It's our own money. Um, and we are using the Oracle to just inject pricing from our centralized market making into the blockchain. And originally we just did that because we needed a solution and it was working. Um, but then we realized, well, it's in the blockchain. Anybody can query this information. So we just started, we made a doc, we made a public and we, a few projects approached us. So like, can we use this? It's like, what well, you want to use it? Just go, just go, <laughs> go use it. Here's a smart contract address. Uh, but once we saw that there was some, um, some demand for this kind of thing, like really accurate trade data pricing. Uh, then we, you know, started to build it up a little bit more. Um, and some things we're working on is like an advanced mode for, for people who have more specific needs. Um, and we would be able to monetize that. Uh, but that's, 
that's down the road. Right now, we're just trying to make it more accessible and more free. Um, and then the other thing, I know there's a lot of Chainlink supporters here. Um, like we are very close with Chainlink, and we want to find a way because Chainlink has this huge audience of, of projects and partners already. So like the easiest path is through collaboration and just maybe working with them to make this data more accessible uh, to their clients, and then you know. Uh, building this sort of thing together. So that's kind of what we're doing. We're not, we're not out here trying to be an Oracle provider. Um, it's more of just we want to provide very accurate trade data very often to the blockchain, and anyone who wants to use that can use it. So, so you that's filled that. a void that needed to be filled for traders. Exactly, exactly. And, and it's a big one because if you're a platform and your users are losing money, like that, there goes all the trust in your platform. So it's kind of like a right. killer if, if you don't have that. Okay, and then chain, since you brought up Chainlink, if I may ask one more question, um, I think it was in December that the integration announcement came out. I could be mistaken. It could have been before that October. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, but Chainlink was bringing the trades made by the traders on chain. What what was it that they were doing? Is that if there are future tokens that the traders want to create or what was the actual integration with Chainlink? Is that still going? Are you still working with them on that? Uh-oh, am I lost Ben? Uh, yeah, his internet's spotty. It's happened yesterday as well. Oh darn, sorry guys. <laughs> you did it, Ben. If you restart the Twitter mobile app and join back, it fixes it a lot of the time, or just leave the space and join back. Yeah, I'll shoot him a quick DM. They can usually still hear us, they can't talk, though, is what I've heard. Oh, is that what, that's what happens? Yeah, okay. and my internet's spotty too. Might be Twitter space, is it? I don't know. I had a few questions about like the KYC process with dark protocols after Jen's question because um yeah I don't know what I, do you mean I, dark protocols well because I know like an exchange like wait Ben are you here I thought I just yeah sorry me. guys I kept oh, getting there a, <laughs> yeah I keep getting a phone call this is the problem with Twitter Spaces like this delivery uh, guy was trying to get a hold of me. Um, but yeah, the thing with Chainlink, like, um, yeah, that's going on. I'm very, we're very close to them, uh, both Philip, he's in China, uh, and then, uh, some of the people on the international team as well, where the, for traders, like one of the issues was the, like, they want to have their data, like their volumes confirmed, but they don't want to have like this actual method of getting it confirmed because then other people could you know, use these strategies. So this is a problem like our own quant firm has um, with getting new clients to believe that, hey, we, we create these returns, go ahead and give us a million dollars of your money uh, and we can replicate this, right? It's very hard for somebody who doesn't know us to trust us in that sense and then and then make that, that you know, that send that capital to us. So, so with Chainlink, we're working on something that would be able to uh, verify without completely giving away all the information right so this is kind of a common uh, common thing now on blockchain with like zero knowledge like zk like it's uh it knows you did something it doesn't know how you did it but it knows you did it right so so that's the thing that we're working on chain link with and then of course 
in terms of like market data pricing and like trade uh the trade data like that's that's all stuff that we're always actively looking to make more transparent to the community um so so yeah that's uh ben i had a question you talked a little bit about uh dark protocol blue looking for solutions uh in kyc and like limiting people's deposits and withdrawals without certain levels of identification um did it does the woo exchange like is that gonna still transfer over like how does the dark protocol solve that like ftx i know like unless you do certain levels of kyc and identification you can only withdraw like an equivalent of like nine thousand usd a day of crypto uh is, is mm -hmm. uh does woo get rid of that entirely uh well WooX is one of our products, right? Well, you can think of it like WooTrade is this giant network, and then WooX is one product. And so you're probably referring to this, the exchange WooX. Uh, and for that, it, I mean, it's it's basically a CFI exchange aimed at active traders right now, a uh, very active, maybe maybe slightly touching into the professional trading space. Uh, so for that, yeah, I mean KYC, it has to be done. Like we operate in a very regulatory. Uh, transparent environment uh, that, that, that headquarters that product team is based in Taiwan uh, where you know, they have they have rules about KYC and AML um, and if we do want to move into you know jurisdictions like you know North America for example you you want to have a sparkling clean reputation not just North America also China would be another one right you want to be clean you don't want to have a history of um, something like BitMEX, for example, because it's really hard to come back from that. Uh, so we're doing everything we can to position ourselves in, in some, uh, position where we can succeed in the future uh, in a regulatory friendly environment. Um, so, so yeah, that's kind of the position you will have to KYC. We have a third party KYC provider who we're integrating now. Um, and so basically they will handle the processes like it, it happens in the back end. Um, if you interact with the exchange, most of them use like a third party anyway. So it, yeah, it'll be all be very streamlined and painless. I guess but my question is like down the line, once you're established and your record's clean, does the technology of dark protocols kind of allow for treat, uh, retail to do no KYC on limited retail uh, withdrawal or no, not really? Well, DeFi, it would. Like we're, we're essentially in the DeFi with these, these pools, we're, we're reflecting the prices on the CFI network into DeFi. So for DeFi, there are, there are a lot fewer limitations on what you can do. So yeah, that would probably happen, and it probably most likely happen on a very fast network, or like a layer two, uh, where you would have that same CFI experience, but in a DeFi world. Yeah, because I just see the problem, like I understand the problem and the importance of KYC, right? But um, a lot of this crypto stuff, like the fundamental of it is decentralization and anonymity, right? And like, some of these traders on FTX are hitting huge longs and they don't want to go through certain levels of KYC. They're stuck withdrawing $9,000 for like with the rest of their life every day. If you want like $10 million, right? Like you could, if, if you don't want to uh, give up your KYC and ID, um, you're kind of just stuck withdrawing $9,000 worth of crypto for infinity. I, and I see whichever, kind of exchange or DeFi protocol has a solution for that kind of wins. I was just yeah, curious well, I think DeFi if Wu, in general, uh, yeah. where Wu stood on that. 
Yeah, I mean, well, obviously, answer. yeah, obviously, Witcher is not going to just go like flaunting the whole like, oh, we're going to dip under the KYC rules by you know <laughs> going to DeFi. But uh, I think DeFi in general will have that effect where you look at an exchange like DYDX, it's on a layer two, it, it it's very close to a CeFi experience. And the, the DeFi platforms, eventually someone's going to build a Binance, like a Binance-like ex- product on a DeFi layer two network. So at that point, I think some of these KYC issues are going to go away. Um, and, and we, you know, we might build that product ourselves, or we might just be a liquidity solution in the back. Uh, that remains to be seen, but um, that's the future we're heading towards. A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I just see that, uh, like, the withdrawal and deposit caps is kind of a huge problem for successful retail and, uh, and, and even, like, smaller cap institution, right? Like, um, if they're worried about taxes and capital gains and stuff, like tax evasion is illegal, but tax avoidance isn't. So, like, these people are worried about the best way to get their winnings off these exchanges, right? And you're just capping them out at five to ten k a day. That kind of stops a small cap institution, successful retail, from really like uh, succeeding. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I have another question, if I may. Sorry. I, I just want to understand. I want to know if I'm understanding this correctly. So, I can't use Blue Trade, but if you are working with Uniswap or with One Inch, right? And I go on Ethereum, whatever, and I'm if I go through One Inch, then ultimately would I have access to all of Wu's liquidity through One Inch? Also, yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's the cool thing about DeFi is you know, you're a lot of times the people using it don't even know that they're hitting trade smart contracts. And when we, if you look at it, it's, it's public information. You can go on BSC scan. It's on BSC. And you can see, like, a lot of the volume is coming from two long-tail assets. For example, like, uh, someone trading for, like, pancake, cake into bake, right? And we don't have either of those two assets for the pools. But the way, like, the, the algorithm handles it is it swaps cake into, like, BUSD and then BUSD into BNB and then BNB into bake. So, like, we'll catch the middle part of that transaction. Uh, so it's, it's very interesting in the DeFi space how all these pieces fit together. Uh, we're getting flow from people who aren't even touching the assets that we have in our pools, uh, and they don't even realize that they're doing it. Uh, but yeah, that's going to happen. And eventually, Jen, uh, we're going to have products that are catered more to a uh, like a, the end user, like you, yourself, who might want to just go on there uh, and trade with really good prices. Uh, but that's maybe a few months. So I'm not trading, I'm not trading for free, you know, because you do fee less, right? Maybe I can ask another question about that, but there's no fee, but I still have access to all of the liquidity. So there's going to be less slippage and everything else, right? Because that's a big issue right now with just making a simple trade is you have to up your slippage and, you know, all of that. I'm paying the fees, but ultimately my results are going to be better with WooTrade being in that mix. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, like there's, uh, I think our fee was set like between five and 10 basis points. And a basis point is like a 0. Uh, 0. 0.1, 0. 0.1 or 0.05. It's very, very small. By comparison, like the Uniswap fee is 0. 0.3. So it's three times uh, or six times what our fee was. Um, and the slippage is obviously like our slip, less slippage on our platform. So yeah, the, the trading 
the whole trading price execution is a lot better. And that's pretty much what WooTrade has been about since the beginning. And that's what we want to deliver. Um, and that's how we plan to empower all these protocols and dApps uh, with, with that. Okay. And then I had one more, if I may. Um, we were talking yesterday about um, the burns. How exactly do the burns work? Because I see the announcements, you know, we burned however many tokens, and I think it's monthly, if I'm not mistaken. But what determines that number? Uh, it's just very basic. It's just the revenue, and it's 50% of the revenue that WooTrade earns um, from market-making rebates, um, from fees, from people borrowing money from us, from any sort of financial service that we provide. Uh, and so as we grow, we expect that number to increase, you know, quite a bit, uh, assuming that the business model is succeeding. And then, yeah, we just, we, we burn that. And, and one of the reasons we do this is not just because it's a, it's a cryptocurrency gimmick, you know, like a lot of people do this to try to inject value into their tokens. Um, but we, we have like this cycle basically where, um, you know, we're giving out some rewards, not a lot. We're giving out some rewards, uh, to incentivize early usage and, the, the, the idea was we would give out negative fees, not just zero fees, we'd give out negative fees to early institutions. And that would create some inflation, but then as the usage brings value to the network, then we would capture that and then burn it, right? And it would, it would stay kind of at a stationary level, but it would uh, the whole time we'd be growing, right? Because the people who had value would be getting more benefit. So that's kind of the basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what we're doing now. But one interesting thing that's happened with the whole negative fees, when our Woot token price shot up, uh, a lot of them didn't feel comfortable staking at the highest level for negative fees. And they thought, well, um, you know, I don't want to be holding like three, 10 million, whatever dollars to get to negative fees. I'll just hold it at zero fees. That's, that's better. Or I'll even, I'll pay fees. Um, and that's even better because that means we earn more revenue and we don't have to inflate the supply, but they're still using the platform. Um, so that's that's been an interesting uh, thing that we've noticed. Uh, and that might go away over time as people become more comfortable with the Wu token and holding it. Uh, we're, we're not sure exactly how that's going to play out. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, right now the model seems like it's going to be very good. Um, the price is going up, which is probably the best indicator that you're doing something right. Uh, so we'll keep we'll keep doing that, and hopefully, hopefully things end up very well for everyone. What exactly is the negative fee? I know that probably sounds like a silly question because it seems like it should be self-explanatory, like it's a negative fee. But I mean, I've never mm -hmm. dealt yeah, it's just firsthand with a negative fee. It's really to incentivize volume because the more we grow. Uh, the more value we offer to everybody, right? The more liquidity we have, and then bigger platforms want to use us because suddenly we have better, uh, better trading environment than they do, right? So the bigger we get, the better. Uh, negative fee is just something like if you trade, uh, you know, like a thousand dollars worth, and you get like a 0 0.01 or something, and it's for obviously for an institution or one that has like an exchange, like clients are trading. Uh, this can go up. Uh, it can be pretty significant. So that that's like a way to incentivize usage. Okay. okay. So gotcha. I had a, uh, oh, go ahead, I was just going to ask, so in order to qualify for the airdrops, do you have to be on a particular exchange or how does that work? We're going to have some clarifications on that pretty soon. Like obviously WUX, our platform is going to be one, uh, and that's going to happen in June. And then um, 
Well, we also want to do it in the DeFi space to like liquidity providers who are, you know, offering the capital on something like SushiSwap or Swap. Um, they'll have to talk about that with the people who are designing it, but we want to make, we want to incentivize people to put their assets into use uh, in DeFi. And that's one great way to do it. Okay. And also, I'd like to dox Erica. I, I want to <laughs> hear his or her voice. Chainlink's going to 50 tonight, guys. <laughs> I, ben, I, I had a question. Kind of going back to the uh, milestones. Um, could you kind of talk about what WooX social trading is and and also the Woo staking for asset management that's coming down the pipeline? Yeah, I think that's going to be one of the bigger things for us. Uh, there is the social trading where basically people who are very confident in their trading abilities can uh, basically uh, let people either contribute capital, which then they trade for them, and then uh, basically like, like a staking, and then they they get some of the the most of the the profits, the profitability of the trading strategy. Uh, or there's another one that's like copy trading, which is basically like if this person does this trade, then your follows it into the position, right? Uh, so these have been relatively unsuccessful, uh, although a lot of people have tried them on a lot of exchanges. It's been unsuccessful mainly because there's not that many good traders. Um, so that these people don't want to be exposed if they're not a good trader. And then the other reason is they're uh, either so successful at trading, like like the guys who founded WooTrade, that they don't care about this sort of thing. So... Um, the reason why we're pretty confident is because we can put some of our own trading strategies on there. And that'll be very attractive for somebody like me, probably people like you in the audience who uh, want to get value from trading, but aren't good traders or are good traders, but don't have time to commit to it. So you could essentially just, you know, invest into this product um, and then you would share the rewards, which is, which is really cool because some of those trading strategies have really high, high profitability and it will probably be capped. Um, because obviously it's limited, like how much capital they can take. Uh, but then that could also bring value to like new stakers. Because those would be given like priority over these sort of products. Yeah. So, will that, be, so will that be like shadow trading? Yeah, exactly. It could be something like that. Or it could be more direct where it's like, uh, depending on the, the different one, the different strategies, it could be where they just actually take the capital because you've staked it into the platform and then they put it into it. Um, and then that's similar to what they do for institutional clients. Like, they, they have, you know, millions of dollars from institutional clients that they trade, um, and, and they're very good at providing very high returns. So Very uh, nice, very nice. That's the path. That's the path mm -hmm. you guys have to take. Yeah, and that's what we hinted on at the beginning when we talked about, like, wealth management. Like, these are tools that the elite have been using for decades, right? That's what hedge funds are. Uh, and, but to get into a hedge fund, you need, you know, a million dollars just to get in the door. Um, and, and we're trying to do it where you could do this sort of thing with 20 bucks, right? So that was kind of the motto, which was disrupt markets and empower the individual. It's, that's the goal. That's what we're trying to do. And hopefully that's how it plays out. Yesterday, Carter kind of touched on the significance Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go for it. I was kind of asking Carter, and he touched on it a little bit, but maybe you can explain it to me once more, the importance of the dark pools. I, I mean, the dark pool, 
it's just about having liquidity that's not fragmented. It's just about having one place where you can execute really large trades without worrying about slippage. Uh, in, in traditional finance, it's more about like if, for example, if you're like an Elon Musk, you don't want your what you're buying to be public knowledge because if you want to buy a lot of it and people find out that Elon Musk is buying it, then the price will shoot up, right? And that affects the the price you can get. So that's kind of the utility of a dark pool in traditional finance, but. Uh, in, in our scene, it's less about the privacy. It's more about uh, just getting rid of the fragmentation uh, in liquidity and making a giant pool. So that's that's really all it is. Gotcha. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think there's uh, another you question. Yeah, I think you, so you said uh, you had some questions from the audience. Yeah, I have a few people requesting it. We want to let on to some uh, some guests from the audience to ask questions. Do quick, it. Quick question, uh, sir. When is Moon? <laughs> well, I mean, like the the price of the Wu token is very important, uh, but um, you know, at the same time, like markets are super irrational, and the the focus is obviously not like you know. Obviously, we have some some things, some strategies we could take. Uh, like, for example, forcing listing on like big exchanges. Um, but, you know, once you do these sort of actions, like they're gone, right? And then the community has nothing to to grasp onto. And it's like um, focusing your efforts on that. You're not focusing on product development. You're not focusing on building strong communities. You're not focusing on the things that are going to make WooTrade succeed over the long term. So, I mean, we're very cognizant of the fact that uh, the token value is very important to the community. Uh, we're we're going to take actions to increase the price. Um, yeah, I can't say that. We're to, we're taking actions to uh, to make the company you know you know as valuable as possible, right? And that doesn't mean we go out and we hire a bunch of TikTokers to to go make we'll trade memes. Um, you know, because those those actions are kind of a waste of resources and, and a waste of. Yeah, I was just fucking with you, killing dead air, man. When people came on, <laughs> you you got to tell me it's going up, bro. It's all right. <laughs> well, no, I mean it's a it's a huge question. Yeah, no, no, I, I, it's definitely it's something I'm interested in, but you don't don't work yourself up too much. I was like, oh, you got me good. <laughs> no, yeah, but yeah, I, I I totally agree. It's I, it makes me happy to hear that you're not really as worried. Like you know, it's important, but I don't know all these tokens that are worried about. Like I don't know the the Binance Smart Chain lottery tokens that just are purely. Like, let's get it as expensive as possible, get everybody rich. But, like, the tokenomics mm -hmm. are shit. So, yeah, I don't know. I was just fucking true. Yeah, I really appreciate that Woot's not, Woot's not doing that. Yeah, yeah. If you want to look at, like, a like what Solana, like, some of the projects there did, and you look at Step, like, the price was up at, like, $9, and everyone was really happy, but now it's down around, like, $3. And there's just basically that, like, guerrilla marketing, and then, like, a super inflationary tokenomics where if you stake on radium or whatever you're going to get like 400 percent apy so you attract the wrong kind of community when you do that you attract people who are just looking for quick profits and then they're going to dump and run and we actually did the opposite like we had a really slow start um and this is in the middle of a bull market uh where so people are really distracted like they're not going to look at your fundamentals when things are shooting up left right and center uh, we got guys like carter uh we got guys who are able to like look at the fundamentals of the project and believe in it and, and we're really fortunate that that happened um i mean that wasn't exactly the plan 
but the way it happened worked out really well. So now I think our community is super resilient. And even though we're like 147, like we're one of the loudest, like we're always in like, uh, if you look at Lunar Crush, we're always in like the top 50 in terms of social metrics. Uh, and that's something that we want to keep building on. And I think it's going to pay off uh, as we grow into this community and the community grows with us. Uh, well, I just learned about this the other day. Can you elaborate on what Lunar Crush is? It's super fascinating. I think it's a really important tool. Yeah, I mean, they just scan like all the social media platforms for hashtags. Uh, and that's why using hashtags is important uh, because, because it gets tracked by this sort of thing. Um, but yeah, they, they, they put that all together and then they have a few different algorithms and one includes like price plus the social media. One's just like social media. Uh, they also track like the spam where how many oftentimes people are just spamming the same thing over and over again. And that's like a negative indicator, but yeah, it's really useful in the marketing space to see how yeah. your, your product's being talked about. It's a website called Lunar Crush and it's basically just a sentiment tracker for different cryptos based mm -hmm. off social media traffic. Um, and it's totally free. Uh, I think it's lunarcrush.io, but I'm not sure. Just Google Lunar Crush and you'll find it. But yeah, I got two two tools for you guys. Machine Trader, which is the modern society's creation right there, and the other one is EVAI.io, and they're about to get listed on Uniswap Friday. Awesome. Check out those two tools, man. Modern society should talk, man. Talk about your site. Yeah, Modern, if you want to hop on and, you know, go into that a little bit, definitely request. Uh, I noticed we had a, a new speaker on. Uh, was there another question? Hi, yes, I have a question. Um, do you intend to eventually serve the U.S. market? Sorry, I'm late, so I don't know if that was answered already. It was answered, but I'll, I'll touch on it really quick. Like basically, we can't really say we will until we can, um, because you can't, you know, like you have to make sure everything is is done in like the regulatory process. And like what I said was, I don't see like a path to success for Wu Trade over the next, you know, coming time period. That doesn't include one of the biggest markets in the world. Um, so you know, we're working on making ourselves more accessible to different regions. But that's just the CFI side. And if you want to get involved in the DeFi side, then uh, there's less restrictions about where you're from. Awesome. Thank you. No problem. How you doing, Mari? Hey, guys. I'm not sure if you can hear me well. Uh, I'm actually just going through an airport at the moment. So if I'm in or out, uh, apologies. But can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, we can. Where are you going? Yep. Okay, great. I'm actually just heading uh, back out of Europe, back into the state, so I might be in or out, but bear with me. Cool. Um, but yeah, I saw uh, someone mentioned um, uh, uh, references modern trader, but it's actually called uh, Machina Trader. Um, I'm not the sole person trader. responsible for it. It's actually like a quite an extensive big uh, team out of Basel, Switzerland. Um, I'm also like I'm coming into this space late, so I'm not trying to like barge in here and change topics or subjects. So that's not my intention at all. If that's uh, as it comes across, I just saw you all were on, so I wanted to pop on. Um, 
But to give you guys like a basic rundown, uh, it's been like a team with over about like six years of uh, different blockchain and fintech development skills from API to all sorts of things. But the, the basic scope of it is um, due to uh, legal and logistical reasons being based out of Basel, Switzerland, able to basically uh, tap in via API to all the major exchanges around the globe as well as scrape data from various social media platforms. All of that data is fed into uh, machine learning algorithms that not only uh, in live time machine learn and develop those skills, but specifically take into account every single past transaction from uh, multiple exchanges and evaluate that into consideration moving forward. All of that um, is then put into machine learning, which uh, is fed into an algorithm, which then triggers bot trading. All of this bot trading is then put available for every user. All of those users are able to tweak and adjust and modify those bots as they see fit. Uh, if one user uh, basically cooks up a pretty nice recipe, for lack of better words, they are then able to post that to their social part of the platform. And then, therefore, if they have like a, a bot that has like, let's say we've got a few people with like a 99% uh, success rate that are turning profits of anywhere between, you know, 2 to 20% uh, very, very quickly, uh, and they can leave those on 24-7, then that person is essentially allowed to rent that tweet out to the uh, rest of the uh uh, what's, the, what's the word for it? Sorry, English is like my second language. So uh, basically like the rest of the users on the platform, they're able to use that bot, uh, their tweet essentially. Um, and then the, the nice thing is, is it really sets an incentive for everyone to really kind of dive in on the technical side. Because if you're putting out a tweet, for lack of better words, and if other people are using it, coming out of the exchanges side, the platform side, not out of the user side, um, they get to keep about 20% of that. So let's say, for example, I create like a really fantastic tweet to the bot or the set of bots, and it becomes quite popular. Every person that uses that bot, I actually would get paid for it. So it can create quite some lucrative income and passive income for any people who are a little bit more on the tech savvy side of things. Um, so it's a pretty fun thing. Uh, a lot of the trading is not quite available for public use yet. That being said, I can't give exact dates, but things uh, are going to go live pretty soon and pretty quick. So I'm pretty excited uh, for that. Um, so if anyone hasn't checked it out, it's actually a uh, link to my profile. Um, and if you're more comfortable with it, you can also just go to uh, machinetrader.com and uh, check it out. It's free right now. It's still in beta. Uh, one of the nice things is part of with the social platform is designed for the early users to have benefits in the long run. So people that kind of sign up and get hit to it sooner, uh, they'll actually not just see more benefits in the future, but they'll actually see some discounted rates, etc. Thank you, brother. Modern. Modern. This is Crypto, buddy. Hey. Give me a shout out. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Now, I really didn't mean to sh sh shill like a project or anything. I just heard you say so. I was like, oh, you know. If you're curious about it, I might as well tell you, like, at least at least I'll scratch the surface. If you're more curious than that, you're, uh, like I said, it's free, so you're more than willing to go check it out if you like it. Hey, Stay Ben, I have a question. If you don't, you're out. Talent is talent, buddy. 
Yeah, but anyway, seriously, didn't mean to interrupt you guys. We're in like a deep discussion on another topic, so I'll kind of silence myself now. Um, yeah, yeah. Continue on. So um, I think it's important not to show all the projects. In this. We're not kind of trying to do that, but I have a question. Man. As a developer, um, how can I get involved in WooTrade? Uh, let's say I want to build a, a project on WooTrade. Uh, I'm not going to name my project. Uh, don't want to show it, but uh, yeah, how can a developer kind of get involved? I love what you guys are doing. Hey, sorry. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I, I just got a phone call, uh, so I like I missed what Modern Society just said. Could you maybe he could repeat that? No worries. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a developer myself. Um, oh, okay. Just, just kind of curious, how can I kind of get involved with with Woo Trade? Let's say you want to build a <clears throat> excuse me a little under the weather. Let's say you want to build a product, uh, maybe that could help the community. What ways could I go about doing that? Well, I mean, you'd always be welcome, Kenneth. Um, like we're we're trying to we're trying to put together a lot of our community developer resources, um, and there's been quite a few people have reached out. And there's a lot of tools we need built, especially in the DeFi space, and especially because we're attacking so many different um, you know strategies with networks. Like we want to be on Polygon, we want to be on. Uh, well, we announced Beachain last night. Uh, BSC has always been welcoming, and that's a good way to uh, get in close with Binance, right? Um, Echo. Uh, Avalanche, like all these these networks, they offer a lot of volume and users. So we're going to need tools um, that can do that. So I think probably what we'll do is you can message me and I'll try to throw together like a developer group um, where people can start bouncing ideas around and see where things are needed. Uh, and then we can kind of mobilize everybody. Sweet. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. From Kenneth. Oh, <clears throat> uh, Ben. So did you say that uh, the WUX staking would go live, you said June or July, summer? Here's the thing, like the staking's live now on beta, uh, but it's closed, right? Because it's invitation only. Uh, we're letting people on uh, relatively slowly because the product team is trying to get some insights into how uh, the, the development should be, you know, tweaks to really target our target audience. And the goal is to have a more advanced and open project uh, product sorry around uh, mid to late june um and then th there is some concern though that if we do like the official launch then without the mobile app and futures which is like august is kind of the time we're shooting for then august or you're like early september uh that maybe people will not be so happy with the experience because mobile is very important future is very important to active traders so we're looking at rolling out like a more open like beta style with more features in June, and then just keep dropping releases all throughout the summer, um, and then just doing a really big launch with, uh, you know, mobile futures, all of it together, finished package, um, you know, towards the end of quarter, uh, well, that'd be mid of quarter three, I guess would be what that would, uh, yes, July, August, September. Okay, yeah, so that's kind of the plan. Sweet, thanks. I definitely look forward to staking on with. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you guys should uh, get get in touch if you haven't already, and we can see about getting you guys on. Hell yeah. Yeah, I wanted to ask a question. Sorry. Super High has already thrown more lights on most of what I wanted to say. I wanted to ask more uh, sticking because I just uh, recently started holding uh, the token. So, since. Uh, Said you could DM me about that. I think I'll, I'll do that after uh, this space so that I'll get more 
on that because I really, I really want to do more of staking. Oh, awesome. Looking at it as a long-term investment. I'm sorry, your mic is coming through. Um, yeah, I say I want to do more of staking instead of just uh, holding the coin. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah absolutely. That's, that's kind of what we, we want. We want more active um, participants. And when I say active, I don't mean just dumping your assets onto a platform and then waiting for free money. Like it's uh, putting it into investment products or putting it into DeFi applications and, you know, earning rewards, but in the process, you're providing a service to other, you know, people who want to trade and they want to access that liquidity. Uh, so that's that's really what we're looking for. And we're looking to create uh, a whole subsection of this industry. that's not about like, you know, these unsustainable yield farms. It's about people making uh, returns on their capital in a very sustainable way. So, I mean, if you're interested in that, then definitely stick with us uh, and you'll, you'll enjoy some of the products that we come out with because, you know, Kronos is very good at making yield. That's something that our CEO, Ran, always says. We're good at that. We're good at making yield, uh, which not many other people can say in the space. Could you, for the people that don't know, go uh, a little bit deeper on who Kronos Research is and what they do? Uh, sure. It's like a multi-strategy, high-frequency trading team. So what that means is um, multi-strategy means that they have different teams working under like one central uh, team and these different teams are all doing different things. So like one could be uh, very long on something and one could be short on something uh, and they tend to be non-directional. So it's not like uh, it's not like us when we trade and we think like, oh, I think Bitcoin's going to go to 70K long 10x, right? They're more about very short timeframes in terms of seconds or minutes. Uh, maybe the longer time frames could be even like days. Uh, but yeah, it's very uh, based on uh, certain things they notice with the alpha in terms of data, uh, when they see certain volume or they see certain trends, uh, and then they act on that, right? So that's that's the different strategies. And they're working uh, completely separately. So sometimes you'll see some strategies make a lot of money and some make less. Sometimes some even lose money on a particular day. Uh, but the point is... The, the risk is spread out because they're all doing different things. So you don't get blown up. Like if I'm a trader and I just go long on Bitcoin and it crashes and I lose all my money, right? It, it's, it's managed a lot different than that. Um, the other thing they do is like market making, which is more uh, just placing liquidity on either side of the, the price. Um, and then they can earn uh, fees from exchanges for doing that sort of thing. Uh, they can also earn money from that from spreads as well. And yeah, arbitrage is another one. Like if the price is up on one exchange and then over on another exchange, they see it's less, uh, they can take, they, they can buy on one and sell on the other. So that's arbitrage. So they do all these sorts of things and uh, they do five to 10 billion per day. That's like an average that, that spikes up sometimes on like really crazy days. Um, and that's, if you don't have a concept of that, it's it's like a pretty sizable, it's like five, two to five, two to five percent uh, of the crypto markets. I think it's less than that now because the, the market volume spiked a lot, but it's it's a lot. So if you've traded on Binance or will be year OKX and you just randomly bought, you know, an asset off of somebody, there's there's a good chance at some point uh, Kronos was on the other side of that trade. Hey, uh, Ben, shifting gears here a little bit, um, you, I, you had talked about VeChain like earlier this evening. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you talk about Wu, uh, Wu's partnership with VeChain and um, like the support of the e, e NFT ecosystem? 
trying to, yeah. trying to connect another guest right now. Sorry, guys. I'm having connection issues on my side. Okay. Well, I can answer the VChain question if you want. Yeah, that'd be great, Ben. Okay. Uh, yeah, VChain, like I've always been a, a big VChain guy. There's no secret to that. Um, you know, they cut me in kind of in the door. And then, like, I'm still very close with that team. It was like Sonny and Sarah. Um, Kevin, who's no longer with them. Um, but then even people that you guys might not be as that might not be as public in terms of like developers and stuff. So uh, this when they finally made this announcement that they were moving to like a DeFi ecosystem with ENFT, it's, it's an awesome opportunity for us because I mean they're like the number fourteen cryptocurrency in the world, fourteen billion market cap, really passionate community, and connections to all these really big companies. And they do things in a very professional way, right? Which is also good for us. And we, they don't have anything there right now. So there's an opportunity. It's like a clean slate. Uh, they have one, one DEX called DEXchange. Uh, but other than that, they, it's a clean slate. And we can come in and uh, support them with bridges and, um, you know, build, build backends for like DEXs and things like that. And we're very excited to see where that will go. Uh, yeah, I, I talk to them quite frequently. And... Yeah, there's, there's no limitation really to what that partnership could possibly bring. Uh, I should clarify, it's not a partnership yet. It's just we've um, committed to supporting them. Let's put it that way. That's awesome. Uh, Patel, did you have a question for Ben? You there? Patel, what do you got for me? My, I was having connection issues, man. I I apologize. Um, all right, so ecosystem-wise, man, you work with uh, a few different, um, I'm, I'm assuming, companies. Um, that that are their teams. Um, which ones would you recommend? That what did, sort of like when it comes? You, you were speaking about VeChain, right? Which mm -hmm. hopefully a lot of people um, definitely look into that. I focus on the technical side when it comes to the analysis because, as you know, on cryptocurrency, um, you don't have too many fundamentals to, to work off of uh, other than probably learning about the utility. And then um, you also, of course, have the volumes. Uh, obviously, that that is somewhat dictated by the sentiment. Um what would you say? Okay. So you have people in, in this space. I, I don't know what their levels of experience are, right? Uh, I've been investing for a couple of years. Um, I, I'm not completely knowledgeable about all of the newer, you want to call it the side chains that, that have come off of Ethereum uh, during the multiple forks of Ethereum or the DeFi space for altcoins. However, um, I, I just wanted to get your take. Like you, you obviously mm -hmm. talked to these chains people, right? So that's what my question was. Yeah, it's it's an interesting question, and I think a lot of it boils down to like your risk tolerance. And I think for people who, well, obviously if they don't have any risk tolerance, they shouldn't be in the space to begin with. But for people who have less risk tolerance, obviously Bitcoin and Ethereum are where I tell people to start. Um, and then beyond that, you have a, like a, a top 20 where you have things like Chainlink and you have VChain who have, you know, demonstrated they're sustainable 
they're they're actually functioning and uh, building products, and they have strong communities. So yeah, those are definitely ones. Um, like also, we're talking with Algorand. Uh, that's another project that you know has has solid resources and, and are building things. Um, who else? I mean, like I love the DeFi scene. I love things like Aave um, and Compound. Aave swap. Aave's definitely been powerful since last year, right? I have a question about Aave. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you mind? Yeah. Just because you brought yeah. it up. Okay, so are there any future plans to possibly use Woo token as collateral to borrow against and trade, possibly on the Woo, like on the exchange? Well, well, Aave is very difficult to get onto uh, because it was, it's decentralized voting, right? So you can't just call somebody like, hey, list us, right? Uh, you have to get a big community vote. Um, so I don't think we're there yet in terms of community size and uh, volume, liquidity, these things. Uh, but that could happen very quickly if we can. Like, not even necessarily Aave. It's not something that you guys might be looking to do yourselves mm -hmm. in the future. Yeah, no, but I mean, we've had conversations with Aave, and like, we want, like, because we want their type of solutions to exist. Um, and actually, a lot of this happens on exchanges. When you go on exchanges and they offer you these, like, staking products, a lot of times what they do is they just dump up it into DeFi products and then they give you the rewards. Uh, so like they're they're offering this service, but it, it's really just utilizing the DeFi space. So we, we can do things like this. We want to do it more transparently uh, and we want to really capture their community um, and our communities together and share that value. Um, yeah, I mean, that's one thing, Aave for sure. But I mean, there's a lot of these different protocols like Cream. Cream Finance has a lending protocol. Um, what else is that? I mean, there's a lot on BSC and, and HECO. Um, that we're talking to but yeah of course like those that's one of the, the foundations of DeFi. apart from trading i mean lending is like the next logical step so yeah we definitely want to have that um check out a project called enzyme finance okay so it allows you to kind of get a fund uh you were talking about how you have teams that, that you guys i, I guess that, that do multi, I, I guess, strategy uh, investing. Mm -hmm. But it, it's really cool that they use the synthetics uh, wrapping protocol. And mm -hmm. it's, you might want to check out, man. Yeah, I, I've heard of Enzyme, um, but I haven't looked into it too much. And I'll, I'll check that out. Like, we're, yeah, we're very interested in the synthetics asset space as well. Just because Can the extension of these assets. Okay. Sure. I mean, a synthetic asset is just taking something like like gold and then pegging a token to it um, in a way that, you know, you trust that the, the underwriting debt is going to still be there, right? You can get that value from it. So um, it could exist for something like stocks, like we see like Tesla or Amazon stocks on the blockchain. It could be something like gold or other like rare metals or something. Um, it could be currencies like Forex. And then um, the other ones are like interest-bearing indexes or, or interest-bearing tokens. Um, this is one that we were looking at. Like if we, we talked about the Krona strategies. So let's say you invested in like a strategy. And then instead of that money just sitting there, you could get like a synthetic asset token, like an LP token essentially. Um, and then you could, if you wanted to be in and out of that position, you could trade that on a secondhand market. And if you don't trade it, you know, this token would be increasing with interest. So it's a very interesting like DeFi tool that hasn't been explored very much. And I think a lot of, tokens are moving that direction and you see like uniswap d3 um, where you have the nfts 
um, they're creating this sort of, uh, this token represents a stake in something else. So we're going to be trying to create a lot of products that borrow from this, this idea. Uh, because when you stake, it's fine, but it's not like not everyone wants to be locked in. So if you can do it in this way, uh, you have liquidity on a secondhand market. It's a lot more attractive, and it's uh, like bigger bigger parties are willing to to do this because they can get in and out of positions. Yeah, hey, Ben. Oh, go ahead, Connor. I'm uh, sorry. No, I, I just think uh, well, it's just something I can help elaborate on if he is interested in. Um, I, I happen to freelance for one of the companies that does do those nft and uh, lp tokens for uh staking uh the toshimon team they sell basically gaming cards and two gaming cards that they sell one's called a cyber hornet and it's like 2.3 eth and the other one is 0.8 ETH, i believe last time i checked and you get these tokens or gaming cards that go on your OpenSea account that just represent the amount of money that you've staked to the project. Um, could you could you elaborate on how like that could I, I it makes sense in the gaming aspect, right? But at the same time, there's so many different uh, uses for LP tokens. Could you kind of explain those to people? Uh, yeah, the LP for sure. Like the LP just makes sense because it's just giving you uh, liquidity on a position. So you can do whatever you want. You can hold it. You can trade it. You can speculate on it. You can just you can sell it, right? So this is very important for for decentralized finance that you have this liquidity. Um, that's that's one thing. I mean, the thing that Uniswap V3 did with creating NFTs, it, it seems a little excessive. Um, like the the NFT functionality hasn't really validated itself. Like why you need that as opposed to just like an LP token, um, but. I mean, these, if you're holding these these LP tokens and they're accruing the value of whatever product that they're staked from, that they're created from, then that's a really big thing. I mean, that's that's how digital assets should be moving, where people, every time you're holding an asset, uh, it's accruing interest, it's accruing value. Uh, so that's something that we're very mindful of when we're designing these products. Like, this is what people want. People want yield. People yeah. want this, like, uh, put their capital to work. That's what one of the other question speakers said. You know, like, I want to put my, my capital to work. So that's about the product design that we're trying to build. Yeah, I think what you just touched on is the fascinating part with these NFTs is they create, like, a secondary ecosystem, right? Like, so for the Toshimon team, when you stake the cards, you get um, Toshi Cash. That's the in-game currency. And so you're mm -hmm. not only... Are you you're investing in the project, but at the same time, they're paying you out in a a, a secondary ecosystem that you also believe in because you staked, and then it kind of becomes like an infinite resource of uh, or, or kind of an interchangeable ecosystem because the tokens you're getting paid out with for staking have value in the project, but also you can sell those for more uh, of whatever you're staking in like ETH. And it's kind of just like this backwards compatible ecosystem created by staking. Um, I was just curious if like, um, I don't know, Woo had, like I saw BNT came out with like uh, shirts that like, are it's kind of like the Unisock concept, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, if you want to claim the shirt, you have to burn it. And then they yeah. mail it to you. But if you want to just own it on the blockchain, you kind of just own it. Does Wu have any kind of promo ideas floating like that around? 
uh, like on the NFT uh, LP thing or Uniswap type stuff? Yeah, I mean, the merch has been insanely uh, popular. People always want like merch and it's fun. Like you, 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 because you're invested in a product, you put like a lot of research in the product and you want to represent it, right? Um, that's something that we have a small team that's working on now. Uh, we, we, we looked at both concepts in terms of like the get the NFT and then burn to claim model and, and also just like the uh, ship it with like an NFT attached to it and then you, you, you claim the token and you can sell it at that point. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We're creating a lot of merchandise and we want to be very user friendly and nothing's more user friendly than getting a big, you know, a hoodie, uh, socks, like this kind of thing from, uh, from a company. So, so yeah, that's, that's definitely in the cards. Definitely. I think everyone appreciates some swag, you know, uh, <laughs> um, kind of switching gears. I had a question about what, how you see the potential growth of Woo over the next three to five years. And if you potentially see maybe uh, on a monthly scale and that time, uh, trillions of dollars being traded through volume. Ooh, like putting a number on it's really tough because we don't know how much the industry is going to scale over this time. Um, or it could recede even, uh, but it seems likely it's going to go up. And yeah, you know, like I'm very optimistic about the growth of Wootrade because this thing's been like a rocket ship. And I don't mean just the price. I mean, just like the growth, the partners, the interest, like every single metric we could possibly point to. Um, and like the thing I touched on earlier about like DeFi, we just created five pools with like two and a half million in it. And they, suddenly they're doing like 900 million a month with over two two and a half million i think it's pretty incredible what you're able to do when you're you can outprice everybody on the market and that's essentially what we can do um, we can create better pricing than anyone and uh, it's yeah so it's exciting i think there's very few limitations to what we can do uh, i would be disappointed if we weren't you know like mentioned in the top exchanges top uh cryptocurrencies just you know when people are getting into cryptocurrency you know there's the few they always they always know about like i would expect woo to be one of those yeah i definitely think that um as you know the regulations in china progress and it, is there an echo oh my bad um and if it's possible that the u.s is allowed to trade on there i feel like you would get a lot of retail investors that would um appreciate no trading fees and lower slippage and you know, all the benefits that Woo provides. So I definitely can see onboarding of uh, tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars of volume coming through. Last night, yeah, Carter, really hard to predict, but yeah. Last oh, night, yeah. Go ahead. Carter was asked a question uh, about like if Woo uh, sees any competitors in the dark protocol mm. uh, scene. Or in the, mm -hmm. and uh, his answer was kind of not really, especially since it's not open source, right? Um, but then I kind of asked the question, do, does Wu kind of consider like projects like Matic a competitor or just like lowering slippage and for trading? Okay. No, is Carter not here tonight? Is he, is he slacking? Um, what's he, what's he doing? I'm not sure. He might be in I here, but, um, but yeah, he might have took the night off after last night. We might have bombarded him. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey, guys. I really, really Really quickly, uh, sorry to interrupt again. I just wanted to really clear the air. I jumped in here late because I was going to the airport, saw you all were on. Literally by zero intention did I mean to shill anything. I stayed behind a no, lot of very good, credible bro. projects, so not at all my intent. Ben did not realize this was kind of like a chat intended 
uh, oriented towards Wu. So by no means did I mean to come in here at left field. So just wanted to clear nah, the air. We asked you about uh, it. Yeah, yeah, but anyway, I like I'm a very like clear standard person, so just want to address that. Anyway, big fan of Wu. I've got a bounce, but wish everyone best of luck and uh, everyone on the chat. Uh, great space, Wu. Great project. Everyone best of luck. Don't sweat it, bro. Thanks, we man. asked you. Thanks. Bro. Yeah. See you, bye. Yeah. See you. Have a good flight. Bye. 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 I appreciate it. Have a good one, guys. Okay. Yeah. Dropping back to the competition thing, like it's really hard to find like a competitor when you're talking about like trading platforms because as an aggregator, you just kind of aggregate each other, right? Um, for example, if there was another dark pool and they were having a different diverse uh, volume that was different from ours, it would make sense for both of us to work together. And yeah, so like I don't see anyone out there and be like, oh shit, if they succeed, we're screwed, right? <laughs> there isn't yeah. that. Um, and you you mentioned Matic, like Matic, like uh, part of Polygon's layer two network. Where, you know, we're we're definitely partnered with them, and we're definitely working on bringing our liquidity to their network. Uh, like their their pricing execution is only as good as the liquidity they have, right? So they're fast uh, and they're cheap for gas, uh, but they can't. They can't do the liquidity on their own. So if we if we bring that like this combination of speed, block times, uh, lack of congestion, and then low gas fee plus from our side like low slippage and high liquidity and low fee from us like it creates a really good trading environment. Yeah, hundred percent. That's why I wanted you to elaborate on because competitors don't really like. You're more of like a foundation than like uh, something you're trying to like compete I, I i don't know i'm not speaking correctly on it but there's no real point in competing with each other in a sense yeah competing is very 2017 uh in the sense like back then you had all the eth killers and you had like bitcoin cash versus bitcoin and then like nano versus uh i guess iota or whatever other free one there was but like for now it seems like everyone's working together and some people have differences of opinions like some people want to go to this layer too. Some people want to go in like polka dot. That's fine. Uh, but collaboration seems to be the name of the game. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't see anyone like we've had conversations with nearly every project and there's never been once. Like, oh, I hope these guys don't make it because we're screwed. Right. So it's, it's all good. It's a pretty good sign. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Um, if you were going to explain how to get into really just the crypto scene or uh, business development as someone who is uh, young and eager to learn, what would, what would be two things that you would tell somebody? Uh, any particular skill sets that you have already or are we talking like high school? Uh, or... um, may maybe if you have some college or have dropped out okay. of college. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would definitely think uh, from a business development side, that's, there's not any, I mean, just being a good speaker um, and then understanding like business models, again, like having some finance and economics never hurts, uh, you know, understanding the technology. Well, you don't have to code. I don't code. Uh, but uh, yeah, like business development is, is more of a, a people oriented thing. It's more like sales position in a traditional uh, a traditional space. So just being able to talk to people, understand their needs, and then, um, you know, solving those needs are important. Being organized, this, this is also very important. Uh, being able to do a bunch of meetings and, 
you know, stay up all night, like uh, if you have to, to catch somebody on the other side of the world. So you have to be very motivated. And then that comes from, like, like I said, like the very first thing we talked about today was just get out there, bust your ass for like projects and don't ask them for money and just let them know you're like available to help out in their community. And then they'll notice you and then they'll start, um, you know, giving you certain opportunities. And it might not be much at first and you might get pretty burned out. But if you keep doing it, eventually you'll get to the point where you'll find that, like, you'll have a lot of, you know, followers on social media. Uh, you'll, you'll know a lot more. You'll have a better understanding. You'll have strong networks. And then you're just in a different position, right? Then you're able to leverage all of those things to create, you know, something that you want. And, and for me, it was always about, like, meeting, uh, like, there's a lot of opportunities to jump into projects that might have been, like, they might have paid me right off the bat, but it wouldn't have been good for, like, the long-term development. And then, like, eventually finding WooTrade, like, a, a very big project and being able to fit what they needed uh, and provide value to them. Like, that was that was a good thing. So that was a bit of patience and just volunteering all over the place to get noticed. A, Does that uh, answer your question? Sweet. Um, yes, it did. Thank you very much. Hey, Pengling, did you have a question? Yeah, I've got a kind of like a two-part question. I was curious, how does Wu utilize Oracle services? And then I was also wondering if you could just speak on your opinion of the future use of maybe Oracle aggregators that are starting to come out. Okay. Um, well, for any sort of on-chain product we build, we're going to need oracles. And what we're using now is we're using our own uh, because we're quoting from off-chain. Uh, but we don't want to really go after this market because we're not an oracle provider. That's not part of our strength. Our strength is traders and then building products around trading. Uh, so we're working with uh, like Chainlink, obviously. Uh, we've also spoken with API3 because uh, they're doing some interesting things with the more traditional world. And yeah, I mean, I think... Like you said, oracles need to aggregate, right? They can't just have a single source. Otherwise, if something happens at source, then the whole ag the oracle is useless or or malicious, right? I mean, both of those possibilities. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to want to try to increase that because we are by nature an aggregated price source. We aggregate across like all the top exchanges. And that's, um, yeah, so we can provide a lot of value to an oracle provider. Uh, so finding different partnerships there and then using their technology and their networks to really amplify our strengths, I think that's going to work out really well. Uh, thank you. I'd just like to clarify, um, Oracle Aggregator, um, I'm curious what your thoughts are, though, on a service that uh, pools together data for multiple oracles. Okay. Well, I mean, that's just really like where you aggregate. If you're aggregating in front of the oracle or you're aggregating behind the oracle, um, so I think both of those could be successful, uh, but eventually at some point you will have a, like a centralized point of failure. Like if you're aggregating a bunch of different oracles, then that, that server that is aggregating it, eventually that becomes like a point of failure. So it's hard to get around that. So what a lot of people are doing now is just using like both, like they use like Chainlink and then like something else like band protocol or something. Uh, that way if one goes offline, like the, the platform's not totally screwed. Uh, I mean, it's you could have like 99.9% uptime up on an Oracle, but that 0.1% would, would be devastating. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see how that works out with the technology, but they still have to solve that like single point of failure issue, or they just need to have two. Um, but I think, yeah, I think generally speaking, aggregation 
is a key to everything we do in this industry. Whether you're aggregating oracles, you're aggregating liquidity, um, you're aggregating trade volume, uh, like like one inch does. Like all these are, I think, are eventually going to be more successful than the brands themselves. Although, like right now, like Uniswap has a is a very strong brand. I think they could slowly lose some of their market share to a dashboard that's able to aggregate across multiple sites and do it in a more user friendly way. So I'm a big aggregation guy. To answer that, to answer that question. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Cool. Thank you, Paylink. We appreciate the question. Uh, any of the other speakers have additional questions they want to ask Beth? Sounds like we're good. Uh, ben, I really, really appreciate you coming on the base space, taking your time out of your, out of your morning to talk to everyone. Uh, did you have anything you wanted to say just to the, uh, the listeners that are tuning in? No, I, I think this was really painless. I think uh, the questions were all really good. Uh, so I think they, you got a good group of, uh, you got a good little network here. And you guys should definitely keep using that, using the advantages of each other. Uh, and I think I think if, uh, if, if development keeps going the way it is, I think everyone in the space, I think we're going to be in a pretty good position a few years down the road. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to jumping in here anytime, uh, talking with you guys and talking with Carter. And sure, if you have any questions, reach out.